is High Motor by BetMGM. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty here from BetMGM, BetMGM.com, the king of sportsbooks. On this Thursday, what are we, July 15th episode of High Motor by BetMGM. Pleasure to have you. Chase, you're kind of driving the train today. What are we doing today? Yeah, podcast, We've uh, an episode we've talked about before. Really excited to do this. I finally did out all the notes. I'm ready to go. I call this the idiot's guide to gambling, all right? So if you listen to this podcast regularly, maybe some of this sounds familiar. Uh, it's still probably like a little good refresher on basics and principles. But this is really geared toward your girlfriend, your wife, your friend that doesn't know anything about gambling, your coworker that came up to you last year and was like, hey, I saw that gambling's legal now. Like, what does that mean? I'm just going to break down all the basics, all the building blocks, and give you the fundamentals that you need to be successful at this. That's what we're going to do today. So we're, we're like really scraping. I think we this, we mentioned this first like a month ago, and I said, are we going as low as what is a money line? What does this number mean? It seems like we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to touch on on like basic bet styles and, and, and parlays and like what these things mean, but I think it's, it's more important... Uh, it's less about definitions and more about how to create a space to operate from. Because I, I, I mean, you can Google what is a straight bet or what is a parlay or what is a money line. Like you don't really need us to define those things for you. There are other uh, more complex ideas that are, that are just about how to operate or how to think that I think is more of what today is going to be about. Number one, point number one in my notes is your mental state. And I know that sounds weird and maybe a little like zenny, like a little Phil Jackson-y. It is important though. So one of the biggest things about gambling is expectations. If you're coming into this like, I'm going to make this my job. I'm not going to have to work anymore. I'm going to make $5,000 a month and I'm going to get really good at gambling. Or you're thinking like, man, this is going to be so easy. Like, I'm, I'm just going to like lay back. And, you know, I watch a lot of baseball. So I'm probably going to be really awesome at betting on baseball. Like, these are things that you want to leave behind. These are not going to be successful strategies. When you're starting at the very beginning of gambling, you should have extremely low expectations. Do not go into this thinking, I'm going to bet $100 a game. I'm going to bet $200 a game, and then that way, like, I'll make more money because I'm betting more money. You should start extremely low risk, okay? If you're going to lose, make it so little money that it's not even noticeable. Bet $1 a game. Bet $2 a game. Well, you know the beauty of that? Like, you can lie to your friends about how much you're betting. Sure. And that, that brings me to another point here when we're talking about mental state. All right, lie to your friends. Lie to your wife. Lie to your coworkers. Don't lie to yourself. Not in gambling. All right. Do not have like wild imaginations about what you're going to do and how good you're going to be at this because chances are you're not going to be very good right out of the gate. This is, it's a whole new way of thinking you almost have to learn about how to evaluate risk. Like, I'm not, I promise I'm not going to go on a weird COVID rant here. I'm not going to like 538 anybody, but. One of the things I think I've learned over the last year and change 
is that we are all collectively really bad at evaluating risk. And that is an inherent part of sports gambling, of deciding what is the risk in this bet that I'm going to take and what is the return on it. So you're going to have to learn a whole new vocabulary, a whole new language, all these different ways to evaluate is X worth Y. So you're also going to have to learn how to lose. I think that's a really important skill. And it, the, the good news is it's a very transferable skill. Knowing how to lose with grace or with dignity in life, that's a very underrated skill. Again, I'm not trying to make this like like a like an inspirational like life coach thing. But in gambling, if you're a professional, you lose like 43% of the time. You know, a professional gambling split is like 57-43. You're losing more than two times out of five, and that's if you're a pro. So you have to be able to know how to lose and then take that and not let it eat your soul away. You have to know how to lose and then not try to chase and get that money back right away. You have to just be comfortable and zen with the idea of, hey, if I bet a hundred times, I'm going to lose an awful lot of those hundreds and they're just gone. That's okay. I'll win. I'm going to have losing streaks. I'm going to have winning streaks. These are all ideas that you have to be comfortable with. But they're also things that humans aren't inherently comfortable with. They're learning, they're learned skills. And that's why, among many reasons, they say the house always wins. Because chasing and not being comfortable with some of this is very natural. But that's sort of the first thing before you establish a bankroll, uh, before you start looking at picks or watching games or, or, you know, looking up specialist stuff, or before you do any of these other things that you think about with gambling. It's really about having the right frame of mind going into it, about what your expectations are, having humility, knowing how to lose, and operating from there. The next thing is establishing a bankroll. And before you can actually bet, you got to have money in the tank, right? And so what you want to do is you want to establish, much like if you were in the stock market, you would take maybe, let's let's say you take $10,000 to a money manager and you would say, hey... Uh, I would like to take this 10 grand and put it into nine diversified stocks. Maybe you want, I want five on the, on the NASDAQ and four on the Dow. And then maybe you've got a little bit left over that you want to put into like foreign currency markets, right? And you're diversified and you're kind of all over the place and you have 10 grand split up into lots of different places. So you're not necessarily about worried about losing all of it on one bad investment. Gambling is very much the same way. And that's not the last time you're going to hear me in this episode compare gambling to finance, all right? So don't take $100 and put it into an account somewhere and then bet $60 on some baseball game you're really confident about. That's not how you should gamble. You should take, let's say, $1,000. Put $1,000 into an account somewhere. And then each time you bet, you want to bet no more than maybe 1% to 2% of your overall bankroll on a ticket. So if you've got $1,000 in an account somewhere, your average bet should be around 5 to $10 because you're then operating at half a percent to 1% of your overall bankroll when you're at that rate. If you're betting $50 or $100 on a $1,000 bankroll, you are having an inordinate risk profile on that one bet. And maybe you win, and that's awesome, but maybe you lose and you just lost 10% of your bankroll 
because Max Scherzer had a bad day. You know, that's the sort of thing you want to avoid. That's what squares do. You don't want to be a square. You want to be smart. I have nothing for that. What else you got? Uh, The next thing you want to look at is actually making your picks. Okay. So now we're operating from a good headspace. We've got bankroll. Where are we going from here? We're, We're starting to evaluate picks. We're looking at games. First of all, it's great that you like Adnan Verk and whoever else at ESPN. I know he's not at ESPN anymore. But it, it, it's great that you like people that can talk about lots of different sports. It's great that you like to be a well-rounded person. Most smart gamblers do not bet every sport, okay? It's not normal. Like when I come on the podcast and I talk about football and then I turn around and talk about the NBA and then I turn around and talk about tennis – most people don't do that, okay? And I, if you want to interpret that as me pumping myself up a little bit, I guess, fine, whatever. But really what I'm trying to say is don't do that. Do not try to be good at everything. If you're a basketball guy, stick to basketball. Do what you know. And over time, maybe you, it can expand out into other sports. But there's no reason you need to be betting on horse racing or soccer or tennis, or shit that you don't know about, because you don't know about it. And if you're one of these people that wants to put 10 bucks on a game just to make it more interesting, like, you're not gambling, you're chasing adrenaline, and that is a totally different thing. We're trying to stay away from that. We're trying to make smart money moves. We're trying to invest. You have to think about this as investing. And so there are certain activities that are good for investing, and there's certain activities that are really bad for investing. So stick to what you know. Once you've limited it to, let's say, hey, you watch a lot of football, you watch a lot of basketball. So maybe you're going to stick to football and basketball. So then you got to start to look at individual games. What do you want to know about a game? First of all, if it feels too easy, it probably is. Okay, If you look at a point spread and you look at a game, and you say, wow, the home team's only a two-and-a-half-point favorite? Whoa! Easy! Just bet that home team, right? They win by a field goal, they cover the two-and-a-half. So easy. There's probably a reason it feels that easy. The sportsbook probably wants you to feel that way, okay? So, as a general rule, if it feels too easy, it probably is. The old saying about home underdogs, everybody loves a good home underdog, that's true, okay? Home underdogs cover generally speaking, over multiple seasons, law of large numbers type of stuff, home underdogs are a good investment, okay? Short road favorites can be, but it kind of depends upon the spot. Be careful about laying really big numbers. And if you're new to the podcast, maybe you haven't heard me talk about this forever and ever, almost every single episode, you have to watch for reverse line movement. What does that mean? When lots of people are betting on one side, but the line is moving in the opposite direction, that's called reverse line movement. That's a great signal. So let me break that down a little further. Let's say the Cowboys are playing the Eagles, and the Cowboys are a seven-point favorite. Okay, They're a touchdown favorite at home. And 78% of people are betting on the Cowboys. You would expect that number to go up. Because when lots of people bet on something, it becomes a greater favorite. So maybe you see that number go from 7 
to seven and a half to eight to eight and a half. But instead of going up, it goes down. It starts to go to six and a half and six, despite the fact that most of the people are betting on the Cowboys. The only reason that happens is because even though there's more people betting on the Cowboys, there's more money on the Eagles. And that money must be coming from a small percentage of people since we already know most people are on the Cowboys. Usually, when lots of money comes in on a minority position, that's sharp money. That's professionals identifying something of value. It's always a good idea to tail that, okay? And from a pure metrics perspective, you could make an argument about, hey, you're losing value because you got... You know, you got the Eagles at plus six instead of plus seven. If you had bet earlier, you would have got that extra point. That's true. But I would rather have the Eagles plus six and be on the side with all the other professionals than be at Cowboys minus six and be, you know, standing there with a bad ticket three days later uh, when all the evidence was staring you in the face that the Eagles are the right side. Couple, a couple things on that. One... Going back to what you said, if you're chasing adrenaline, that's just a different deal. And then you're just betting on sports for entertainment. And if you want to bet on sports for entertainment, enjoy yourself and have a bunch of fun. You're in Vegas. Throw a few bucks wherever you want here and there. The question I have for that is, in the past, and we might actually do it again this football season, you've done what you call a 2K parlay, where you will put $5 on a usually football-only, sometimes you mix like some MLB or NBA games in there if they're available, on like... 10, 11, 12 different lines, a mix of money line spreads, etc., in hopes that it will hit a, a $2,000 um, $2, payout, which I believe you did hit a couple of times. That is extremely difficult to do, and because you're only throwing $5 on it, obviously it's an extremely low risk. I guess my question to you is, I mean, I think I know the answer to this. I know you're not chasing adrenaline with that, so is that kind of a mix of you throwing out a lottery ticket but in doing so you're being strategic about it yes uh i would say that's a good way to put it the when i first started doing it i basically thought of it as you know i could buy a hamburger with this money or i could buy a lottery ticket like ah it'll be something fun let's see if i can get through the noon college football games without this ticket crashing. Oh wow, I did. All right, well let's see if I can uh, if I can make it to the night game. You know, it was it was that kind of thing. It was more of an entertainment thing. And because I'm very comfortable with my mindset and how I operate and and what I'm doing, I felt fine throwing five dollars away because as soon as I bet it, I don't look at it as man, I could make $2,400 off this. I don't look at it like that at all. I look at it as I just lit $5 on fire, and I'm comfortable with that. Right. And occasionally, sure, it spits back $2,500 my way, and you know, lifetime on all the 2K parlay tickets I've built, uh, I am probably in the black over it because it's $5 at a time, and I've won, I think, three of them. So, it, but it, the, you're, you're right to point out in how I build them, there is some strategy and certain things that I'm looking for. So you're not, you're not wrong to point that out. You can employ some strategy in building a parlay while also acknowledging that the parlay is probably doomed to fail. So if you can hold both of those thoughts in your head at the same time, 
then uh, you can uh, you can tail me on on the two K parlay stuff and be fine with it. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I meant by that. Like, for example, like you've said that you'll stay up for a Nevada Hawaii game, and you knowing that you're going to stay up for that game because it's the last game of the night, you're not just going to throw that into your parlay so that you're sitting there holding a Hawaii ticket at two a.m. with that adrenaline. Like you're yeah. not doing that because you know you're going to watch that game. That's right. not what's happening. Exactly. The other thing that I want to bring up when you're talking about reverse line movement is kind of combining that. And then you said, you know, if you see a, a home home team that's only a two and a half point favorite, does it look too easy to you? And then with the reverse line movement, always assume that like somebody, especially for new betters, even a casual better like myself, I bet on a fair number of games, but I'm not betting huge money. I'm, I am so far miles behind behind you and miles behind a sharp. I always assume that the book knows more than I do and that a lot of other people out there know more than I do. How can a new better or even a casual better like myself then use that to their advantage? Like if they're not the ones that are breaking down these numbers with algorithms, they're not a sharp better, they don't know what the book is thinking, but how can you, and this might kind of be beyond the the beginner's guide for betting, but then how can a beginner use reverse line movement to help themselves. Well, I think I think it's uh, I, I think it's the same for a beginner that it is for somebody like me who I've never considered myself a sharp, but I'm certainly not like a casual better either. I'm kind of in this weird middle ground. Uh, it's probably the same for both me and that absolutely new better in that you can never go wrong by following professionals, right? Now, when I say you can never go wrong, I don't mean that you'll never lose because as I've tried to say here pretty explicitly, everybody loses in sports gambling, right? Nobody never loses a ticket. That doesn't happen. You're going to lose, get comfortable with the idea that you're losing. But over 10,000 wagers, if you're being smart and you're tailing pros, you're going to make a little bit of money. And that's what we're in this business to do is make a little bit of money and be smart. And so... How can you utilize reverse line movement uh, by by following it, right? By just just by if you right. can figure out that it's there, if you can look at something and have the tools to go, ooh, everybody is betting on the Packers. I know that everybody's betting on the Packers because the Packers are a public team, but the line's going against the Packers. That could be reverse line movement. Maybe you, you you've started to use some other resources online like uh, the action app that acknowledge like where tickets are or where money is. Uh, you can identify that and then you can tail it. This is copyright does not apply in gambling, right? Just because somebody else did something doesn't mean you can't just follow them. Uh, it's called tailing and it's very successful when you tail the right people. Or you could be like Andrew and text me 30 minutes before Sam Query's match starts. And uh, tail me on that and lose money. I'm pretty good on the tennis stuff. Can I? Just, I mean, I I don't lose a lot of tennis matches. That's a perfect example because, like, I don't know what your record was on tennis lately, but I'm just making it up. Let's say you bet on a hundred matches and you were seventy and thirty. If I'm not tailing you on every match, and like I picked your boy, what's his name, Query, Query, Query something like yeah, that. Query. I have a greater chance of essentially losing, even though you were extremely confident in that because I'm just picking one, and I probably tailed you on some of those other ones that you would mention because I don't follow tennis betting. Because I'm not like doing all 100, 
then I have a greater chance of winding up losing money because I'm just plucking one or two out of it. So that's yeah. why, like you said, tailing can be great. You just have to know essentially why you're doing it, what kind of volume you're doing it at. And again, accept that you are just going to lose some of those bets, especially if you're plucking. If there's an expert that gives you 10 picks and you say, mm, yeah, I'm going to bet on this game, this game, and this game, only take three of the 10. Those could be that guy's three losses. And that's the problem, I think, with tailing. I know you're not saying that at all. It's just as somebody who does tail you fairly often, that can be something that gets me into trouble. And, and I mean, rarely if you have 20 bets in your action network, I have, I'm not going to like take all 20. It'll be kind of a mixture of ones that I feel really good about and that ones that you've said you, you feel really good about. But that, in my experience, that's the one problem with tailings that you need to know exactly what you're doing. You need to be able to be willing also. If you're only betting, you know, your typical unit on a bet is $5. And then all of a sudden you're tailing 20 bets. You need to be comfortable with having $100 in stake uh, out there. Right, what's next for us in this betting guide? Well, let's let's take uh, just a quick minute here and talk about types of bets. And I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because, uh, like I said, you could go read way more in-depth about what all this is. But I just want to put some quick names to faces kind of thing. Uh, when we talk about money lines, you're betting a straight winner. There's no point spread. There's no anything else involved. It's just who's going to win, the Suns or the Bucks. Pick a winner. And the reason that works is because there's reduced or increased payouts for the favorite or the underdog, and that's where you need to know how to read the numbers that go along with the money line. So if you're looking at a minus 200 money line favorite, that means you need to bet $200 to win $100. The other side of it is if you're looking at a plus 200 underdog, because the minus always goes with the favorite, and the plus always goes with the underdog, a plus 200 underdog means for every $100 you bet, you will win $200. So for the favorite, you're getting a reduced payout, and for the underdog, you're getting an increased payout, and that accounts for that perceived difference in the marketplace of favorites and underdogs favorites are supposed to win so you make less money underdogs are not supposed to win so you win more money uh, let's talk about point spreads really fast this is one of the biggest pieces of confusion you will be ever see find hear people talk about even now where gambling is much more in the public consciousness you hear this all the time and it is wrong just because the cowboys are seven point favorites over the Eagles does not mean they are seven points better than the Eagles. It doesn't mean on that day they're seven points better. It has nothing to do, I shouldn't say nothing, but it has almost nothing to do with how much better the Cowboys are than the Eagles. You don't want to know what my, big, my biggest pet peeve for that is? Please. And this is mentioned all the time, and this is the easiest way to spot if somebody doesn't know what they're Absolutely, talking about. Absolutely, you are right. It is the easiest way to spot whether or not people like, understand. This is this is like the pure example. When UCF, or even like Cincinnati last year, or BYU or Coastal Carolina, like when they want to, like on the college football playoff selection show, they will say like, if Cincinnati was playing this team, like the fourth-ranked team in the playoff, and Cincinnati would probably be an, uh, probably be an underdog, but whatever. Like if they said... Well, just we talked to the sports book at whomever, and Cincinnati would be a two-point favorite against number four Ohio State. Well, you know, there goes the show that Cincinnati is right there with Ohio State. 
And every time I'm just screaming at the TV, like, that's not how this works. That right. does not mean that Cincinnati, that has nothing to do with essentially Cincinnati and Ohio State on the field whatsoever. And I don't understand why, I don't know if some people just do it to get people like me riled up, or they truly don't understand how that works. Well, it's a, it's a talking point, and I think if, like your average sports center audience is probably a non-expert gambling audience. So it sounds like a good bite of information for a layperson audience, but in truth, uh, that's a much more complicated uh, discussion about point spreads in two teams that we're going to just barely scratch the surface of here. What a point spread really is, it's not talking about the difference between those two teams in a pure sports skill, they're that much better than this team type of way. It is a measurement of the marketplace. Again, if you think about gambling as economics, like let's let's make an economics comparison here. If Disney is worth a hundred dollars a share, okay, there is nothing about a piece of paper that says Disney on it that makes Disney inherently worth $100 per piece of paper, right? It's all about the marketplace. All of this shit's made up, man. We made it all up, okay? Read Sapiens. It's it's all about what we say it's worth. So Disney's worth $100 because we have a system that says that that piece of paper is worth $100 based on how much people have been buying and selling it. And gambling is exactly the same way. If somebody is a seven-point favorite, it's because that's roughly the amount of points you would need to lay or get to make 50% of the people buy or sell that position, right? The sports book's goal is, generally speaking, some exceptions, but generally speaking, the sports book's goal is to get equal action on both sides of a game. That means they never have serious exposure and then stuff like parlays and stuff will generally fall apart and then there's their that's where their profit margin comes from. But on straight bets, they generally want equal action. And so if the Cowboys are seven-point favorites, that's because the, the book has pegged that about half the people in that scenario would want to take Dallas minus seven and the other half want to take Philadelphia plus seven. And if the line was minus 10 instead of minus seven, way too many people would be on the Eagles and not enough people would be on the Cowboys. And then the book would be exposed financially and they would need one side to prevail over the other lest they lose a lot of money on that game. So that's always the goal. It's always to have equal action and try to set a point spread that gets very, very close to roughly equal action on both sides. That's what a point spread is. It doesn't have anything to do with who's better and by how much. I mean, I love the hypothetical point spreads as much as anybody else. Like when when they, going back to my other example, if they said that in a hypothetical neutral site game, Cincinnati would have been 14-point underdogs against Alabama, I think that's fascinating. Like, I am legitimately interested in some of those hypothetical point spreads because you can get a real... I mean, talk about getting a good idea of the marketplace. For a bet that doesn't even exist, I think that's absolutely fascinating. But it has nothing to do 
with what's actually going on on the field, what they think of Alabama versus Cincinnati at all. Right. It's a marketplace discussion. It's not a football discussion. That's where people go wrong. Uh, really, really quick, just totals. We're talking about the total points that will be scored in the game. So when you hear people talk about an over-under, that's just a more casual way of talking about a total. And that's pretty self-explanatory. If a total, like oftentimes when the Pittsburgh's the when Pittsburgh plays Baltimore in the NFL, classically the total is like forty-one and a half. That's a low-scoring total. Then you get two high-scoring teams together. Classically, you'll see like a forty-eight and a half. And these days, with all the offense, a higher total is more like like fifty-five. Uh, but that that's that's kind of what you're looking at. Do you want to go over or under that n- total? And totals, we could do a whole podcast just on like how to bet totals and how to gauge the momentum of a game and if there's not a lot of offense just wait there's probably going to be offense later and and how to take second half fades and all this stuff yet like there's so much nuance to totals that again i'm really not even scratching the surface here but it just as a general uh thing that's that's what that is uh and then you also have european odds which are like money lines but just kind of done differently it's like here in america we might say a minus 500 favorite which is the same as a one to five favorite, or uh, horse racing is big on this too. Like you might say, oh well, that's a that's a plus three hundred underdog. That's the same as when you've heard somebody say, oh, they're a three to one underdog or three to one odds. Like those are the exact same things. It's just different ways of saying them. Um, anything to add there? No, just one note on that. Like if if you aren't aware of like if you are watching horse racing and because those get a little funky, maybe it's like an 18 to one, or you just suck at math or whatever, there are converters available. I mean, just go to Google and type in, because there's European, American, and decimal. You'll you'll rarely see decimal unless you actually are in Europe. But there are converters available, and as Chase alluded to before, just Google this stuff. I mean, I've spent a lot of the summer and a lot of the spring putting out educational articles on betmgm.com. If you want to know how to read NFL odds, Google how to read NFL odds and click on our article from betmgm.com. And you will be able to learn this stuff. One note, I usually put this at the end of the show, ping Chase on Twitter, at Chase A. Kitty, and he will explain what a money line is to you. Like, sports betting is super fun, especially if you're doing it right, you're doing it conservatively. If you're doing it like Chase said, in the right mental state. When I started sports betting, I was doing it the wrong way. And once I figured out that you're playing so much more of the numbers, I think you said when you started, it was like, Hey, I get college football, and 90% of my bets are based on what I know about Arkansas' secondary versus Auburn's quarterback, and it was only 10% of the actual numbers, and now it's flipped to 10% actual college football, 90% the numbers. It's great if you can break down an SEC's front seven. You know, It's great if you know how a 3-3-5 plays against a strong offensive line. Okay, It's great if you understand all those things. But the reality is you're going to go much farther gambling playing the numbers than you are playing schemes or playing teams uh anything like that uh that that's what andrew's alluding to a a common phrase that i use uh and not like i came up with this but i regurgitate it a lot which is joe's bet teams pros bet numbers and that's that's what i bet i look at the numbers before i look at the teams it's all about what is the number telling you The, the last little thing here i'll add is just parlays uh parlays they're awesome you just got to be a little careful uh the thing with parlays is you are basically stacking multiple bets together so you are ratcheting up your risk profile pretty dramatically but unsurprisingly with greater risk you get greater reward 
So a parlay will offer you uh, dramatically enhanced payouts. You know, if you're getting uh, $100 for one straight bet, a two-team parlay might pay you like $250, $240, somewhere in that realm. Uh, And you're basically multiplying your payout, but you have to hit every single leg of that parlay. Uh, so if you've got an 18-way parlay and you hit 17 of the legs and miss the last one, you lose your money. There's no middle ground. So it's awesome if you can do it well, uh, but you do need to be careful with them because, as we said earlier, that is where the margins are for sportsbooks. Honestly, the best thing you ever told me about parlays, I don't bet a ton of parlays, but I used to never do it. And once I became more comfortable with it and saw that there is value in it, it was when you said just the easiest thing is, you need to have a reason why you're betting a parlay. Again, if you're betting for the adrenaline and excitement, that's just a different deal. Like if you want to put together a 2K parlay for 5 bucks, or you want to put together an 18-game parlay for $3 because you want to go on vacation, yeah, let it rip. I'm fine with, again, like you said, buying the lottery ticket. That's sure. just fun as hell, yeah. and the reward is, is significant. But you just told me that you have to have a reason why you're doing it. Whether that's you like this team... But at a at a you know minus five hundred money line, you don't really love the value there. As opposed to stacking different teams, you like the value at that point. I know this is a beginner's guide. We didn't talk a ton about value, but it's just super simple. Like if you're building that parlay, you need to explain to me why you're doing it. And if you're doing it correctly, it can be highly lucrative and a really good opportunity to do so. You just need to, and again, this is something you can ping Chase on on Twitter about, and he'll explain it to you more. And maybe we'll do this more in the future, but. You just need to very simply have a reason why you're doing it, and it can be really, really good for you. Yeah, and I think the the other thing with parlays, if we're being super honest about it, is it's kind of an ego thing. Like, you know that it is dramatically harder to cash a parlay than it is a straight bet, which is a straight bet's just being like bucks plus four, like that kind of thing. Um, there is a certain level of egomaniacal prestige in... I put together a six-leg parlay. It was really hard, and I cashed it. What's up? Like th- there is an ego to that, but again, there, there's a there's a yin for every yang, and the idea is that the sportsbook can be using that ego idea against you. So definitely do parlays, but do them carefully. Couple of rapid-fire notes here at the end. Uh, just some do's and don'ts that I wrote down. Do fade the public, okay? If, if the idea is that the sports book always wins, then going against things that are popular in public or like built into some sort of narrative, like that's usually going to be pretty profitable for you. So fade the public. Fade meaning uh, to go against. You're betting against something that's pub- pu- publicly popular. Track your work. Uh, get the action app. It's great. Or, or make a spreadsheet for yourself. But keep track of everything you bet. That way you can look back at it and say, wow, I've been on a really bad run. What am I doing wrong? Or, wow, I'm really good at betting the WNBA. Like, why am I so good at this? So that you can recreate that. But it's always a good idea to have some sort of uh, records. Don't pay for picks. This is one of my biggest pieces of advice to new gamblers. And I almost mentioned it earlier when we were talking about tailing. Uh, The idea that you might pay somebody like 80 bucks a month to get their picks 
I understand why it is uh, sort of attractive at surface level. Like, hey, I'm still trying to get the hang of this, so I'll just give somebody else a little bit of money, and then I'll bet so much money that I'll, I'll just cover the money that I paid to that person, and I'll end up in the black. Like, it'll be fine. And maybe to you, $80 isn't it, that much money, and it's, it's not, nothing to worry about if, you know, if it doesn't work out. But here's the thing. There's no guarantee on these picks. Like, you're not, you're not getting your money back, right? So you're paying for picks that might lose you money. <laughs> you might be paying to lose money. So don't do people that. People still do this? Like, this wasn't a thing in the 80s? Like, people still oh, pay the, for picks. Dude, there are touts everywhere on Twitter. If you follow one gambling account on Twitter... They will all start to follow you, hoping that you follow them back, so then they can sell you their double platinum diamond elite VIP package for forty nine ninety nine a month. Uh, oh, I know who you're talking oh about now. God, so they'll dude, have in like their bio one hundred and eighty six and a hundred versus one hundred and fifteen against it. Those are those yep. people. That's Bo- what you're talking boom, about. Boom! Another one. DJ Khaled gif. Uh, just just hit our awesome triple double sick bet of the week. That I didn't tell anybody about ahead of time, but now I'm going to tell you what it is because it just cashed. And then, like, strangely, I never mention any of my losers. Everybody loses in this game. So just don't pay for picks. It's not worth it. And then even if you get good picks, which is a huge if, because a lot of these guys, like, let me tell you a little secret about scams, people. Okay? If they had the secret to making money, they wouldn't have to sell you the picks. They would just make money gambling. They wouldn't have to do anything else. Okay? So they're making money off you. They're not making money gambling. It's kind of like people that will write screen screenwriting books, but they've never actually right. written a like, screenplay. Here's it's like if you were so write, damn good at this, exactly. yes. you would write an Oscar-winning screenplay. Oh, wait. No, you have to tell me. There's yeah, an old it. there's an old saying about teaching that those who can do and those who don't teach, that saying should be those who can do and those who can't like make money selling bullshit on Facebook and Twitter. Like cuz that's really what it, what it's about. But even if you get good picks and it all works out, you just spent your profit margin for the picks. So even in the best case scenario, a lot of times you're not making money. Don't buy picks. If you have questions about a game, just DM me on Twitter or whatever. Like, I'll, like there was a guy a couple weeks ago who DM me like, hey, man, I kind of like this bet. And I was like, nope, that's a terrible bet. Don't do that. And you know what? He did it anyway, and he lost. And that's cool. Own your picks. If you If you really like something, don't let me talk you out of it. Like, maybe you know more about it than I do. I'm not an expert just because I'm on this. I mean, I am an expert, and that's why I'm on this podcast. But that doesn't mean I'm right all the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's just own your shit. If you like a pick, ask for opinions, but go for it. It, it, Like, stand your ground. You're putting your money behind this. So there there is a certain level of confidence you're going to have to have if you're going to put your own blood money, like, on the line on some of this stuff. Uh, stay humble. We've talked about that. Don't like, all right, sick. You went on a 12 game streak. Like you got to stay low. You never want to get too high. You never want to get too low. And it's really easy when you rip off 14 winners in a row to think that your shit doesn't stink and that you're awesome at this. And that's when you're going to bet eight grand on Illinois state 
and not win. So I thought it was fifteen grand. I thought it was like twelve or fifteen. Well, grand. it was it was like I think it, it was split up into multiple bets at multiple sports books, and the biggest of it was eight grand at one sports book. Anyway, uh, stay humble. Humility is huge in this, and that's something you really learn with perspective the longer you do this. Humility is one of the best qualities you can have uh, in gambling. Uh, it feels too easy. It probably is. I already said that. I'm just going to say it again. Take it. Take a break every once in a while. Take 14 days off. Just take a couple weeks off. Don't watch a lot of sports. Don't bet anything. Just take a break every once in a while. It's It can be good for you. I had a little rough stretch in June. I took five days off. I came back. I ripped off $1,000 in like six days. Okay? So breaks can be good. Uh, and this this is the last thing I think I'll say. This is a type A activity, okay? So you're going to, if you're naturally type A, great. You 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 have a lot of potential here. I am not a naturally type A person, which is something Andrew and I privately joke about all the time. Our lives are very different. He's married and has a child and is like a pretty buttoned down adult. And I'm out at like karaoke bars at 1 a.m. on a Tuesday sometimes. So it's like we, we kind of have different styles and he i think is a little more type a than me but you have to build type a habits to be good at this get into a routine read the newspaper every day get up and look at sports stuff what are we doing here look at sports stuff in the morning what did this turn into build build yourself like 30 minutes in the morning before you go to work while you're eating your breakfast or drinking your coffee where you're what looking are we doing you're looking at the stuff for the day and you're going okay i like that Ooh, actually i'm going to stay away from that i'm going to go ahead and lock this bed in but it's about routine you don't want to be firing from the hip you don't want to be frat house betting uh it's a type a activity are you, are you good what the read the newspaper like what yeah <laughs> I just mean, I, I, I think, I guess to, to really boil that last bit down into one part, don't fire from the hip. Do, like, be, be intentional with what you're doing. Be methodical. Be mathematical. Don't just like, eh, I think I'm going to bet on the Braves tonight. Like, don't do that kind of thing. Uh, treat this with the seriousness you would treat investing, and it will treat you seriously back. So what you're saying is, don't get a screenshot from a friend of yours, unnamed friend of yours, unnamed. with some tennis picks, and I say, unnamed. hey, it looks like you're dropping a few hundred on this American fella out in Newport. Sure. Why not? If he co-hosts a podcast, you should still probably listen to him. That went way longer than I expected it to. It was a strong was seven hours we just did. So we're off on Monday. Give you a little bit more time to digest that. Hopefully, we didn't lose everybody. Lots of new no episode on Monday, but we will be back one week from now, Thursday. That's July twenty second on High Motor by BetMGM. We'd love to have you back uh, throughout the rest of the summer as we head to our football season. Get a lot more into college football coming up here. So check out those college football numbers. Also, go back check out those NFL numbers on BetMGM.com on the BetMGM Sports app. Uh, sports book app ping us with any mailbag questions at high motor pod on twitter again ping chase also on twitter at chase a kitty with any specific betting questions thank you for dropping by we are back on thursday read the newspaper. <laughs>